Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we gather here on this Mother's Day evening because out of all the things we have on this earth, you are greater. You are worthy of all the praise we can possibly give to you. Lord, I might be tired, but you are God. We might have other things on our minds and our lives, but you are God. We thank you for your word given to us that we would remember and know. And that we would live it out in our lives. Lord, we pray for the strength to do these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. What is it that brings you joy? Think about just a couple things. What is it that just brings you joy? Is it a good day at work? Is it your children or grandchildren? A good meal usually brings me a little bit of joy. Now what is it that brings you great joy? great joy, right? Is it, is it considering your salvation in Jesus Christ? Does that bring up just a great joy within you? That you are saved by faith in Jesus, secure, sealed by the Spirit of God? I, I sure hope so. Yeah, in Scripture, there aren't too many places where great joy is expressed. In the book of Matthew, we see it. When the wise men saw the star at the birth of Christ, they had great joy. And in that same book, when the two Marys found the tomb empty and the angel proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they had great joy. In the book of Luke, the angel's announcement of Jesus' birth to the shepherds was a proclamation of great joy. And then at the ascension of Christ into heaven, there was great joy in that same book. Then one other time in the book of Acts, when when the news spread of the salvation to Gentiles throughout the church, there was great joy amongst the brethren to know that salvation had been brought to the Gentiles. I, I bring these up only so that we can Consider the significance of the kind of stuff that God states in his word, the kind of stuff that brings great joy. Uh, The birth of Christ, his resurrection, the proclamation of the gospel from the angels at the birth of Christ, and his ascension into heaven. And then when that salvation hit the Gentiles and there was that spirit movement there, great joy in all these occurrences. Do you know what brought Paul great joy? The church body walking in love for one another. The the family of God showing concern for one another is on par with the birth of Christ and the resurrection, and the ascension. Because this loving concern that we are to have for one another when we actually show it is the fruit of these things, isn't it? It's the evidence of Christ actually in our lives. Tonight we're going to look at a passage passage that 
recalls to us how the Philippians put on display the love of Christ toward Paul. We're going to look at the nature of that concern for one another, that kind of concern. And we're going to recognize the benefits of living out such a concern. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read verse 10 and then verse 14 through 20. Verses 11 through 13 is this parenthetical statement that Paul makes, and we'll look at that the next time we are in the book of Philippians. But for now, it's going to be chapter 4, verses 10 and then 14 through 20. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. Philippians 4, 10, it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Verse 14, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, You sent help for my needs once and again, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. Paul rejoiced in the Lord greatly, didn't he? Because his brothers and sisters in Philippi had concern for him. They had revived their concern. Their concern for him was more than just a passing mental consent or assent to to his being there and and his needs their their concern had three elements to it their concern was continuous their concern was tangible and their concern was to god's glory their concern was continuous tangible and to god's glory Verse 10, it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. (coughs) The concern that the Philippians had for Paul was continuous. They kept an eye out. They kept an eye out for how they could be there for Paul. They were concerned for him, and at length, They continued to be concerned for him. They had always been concerned for him, even if they didn't have the opportunity. But they revived that concern as soon as the opportunity presented itself. They had never forgotten Paul. This was more than a concern of convenience. It's easy to be concerned for somebody when they're right there, right? pretty easy to forget about somebody when they're a thousand miles away, no longer in contact with them. But the Philippians, they kept an eye out for him. This was more than a concern of convenience. It was a love for Paul that did not forget to be sure that Paul was taken care of. Even though they were somehow 
inhibited or, or unable to do too much for him or anything for him for a time. For one reason or another, it doesn't give us the reason. But they hadn't forgotten him. They had a kindness towards Paul that was like no other church. Verses 14 and 15, he says, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. They had a love for him that went far beyond his presence there with them. And they continued to care for him immediately even after he had left them for Thessalonica. Verse 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Philippi and Thessalonica was his next stop out of Philippi. It wasn't that far away. It was a good journey, but not that far. And they, they... said goodbye, they watched him leave, and they just couldn't stop caring for Paul. They, they continued to send him the help that he would need to provide for him while he was there doing ministry there. And now they were caring for him while he found himself imprisoned in Rome. About 10 to 12 years after he had planted that Philippian church. Sometime after he had left them for Thessalonica and other journeys. They kept in touch with Paul so that they would know his needs a few years before the conveniences of social media, right? They didn't have a telephone. They could just pick up and say, hey, Paul, how you doing? They didn't have planes, trains, and automobiles. It was hard work. This was not an easy age to stay in touch without an extraordinary effort to find out what his needs would be. But they loved him. And because they loved him, convenience was not a concern. Paul was. Paul was a much greater concern to them than the difficulties of keeping in touch or the challenges of providing for him. Are people more of a concern for me? Are people more of a concern for us than convenience? John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Here's the qualifying statement. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The love that Jesus has for us And he calls us to have for one another was not convenient. As Paul described in chapter 2 of this letter to the Philippians, Jesus was God. And yet he he took his glory and he set it aside. Then he took on flesh, just like you or I. And then he didn't just die for us. He took that perfect innocence that he had to a cross in our place. Even death on a cross, as Paul said. To put it mildly, his love for us was less than convenient. Our love and concern for one another in the church family 
therefore, should not have to be convenient. It shouldn't have to be easy for us to want to always look out for one another and to serve one another, even if the opportunity isn't there, not forgetting one another. In chapter 2 of Philippians again, Paul had said to them, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that's what the Philippians were doing for Paul, and it made him rejoice greatly. And their concern for him was, was more than a continuous heartfelt feeling, regardless of obstacles, a lifting up of, of prayers. I'm by no means saying that praying for others is, is bad or wrong or not a good thing, but their concern went beyond what the world might call positive thoughts and, and, or, or a fondness for Paul. The Philippians took an active interest in Paul and his needs. They showed their concern for him in a tangible way. 14 to 16, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Recognizing their partnership with Paul in the gospel, that which Paul spoke about in chapter 1 of this book. They gave him help along in that gospel effort. Sending him help for his needs. They provided for his physical needs so that he could continue to do that spiritual work that he had been given to do, that gospel work. How often do we hear about what somebody is going through? They or a family member is sick or, or they've lost a job or they're just simply overwhelmed with the kids and the housework and the activities and taking care of their parents or whatever it might be. And we say, I will be praying for you. And ten minutes later we can't even remember who we were talking to. I, I myself guilty as charged. I've had to force myself into the habit of praying immediately after I say it because I had just gotten so tired of myself saying it and then forgetting to do it. Sometimes even praying right there with that person. Let's pray right now because I don't want to forget. But can we take it further? Can our concern for others go further than prayer. Should it go further? We, we say, go in peace, be warmed and filled, right? But as James tells us in James chapter 2, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? How often do we say, let me pray for you, and what can I do to help you? How often do we keep an eye out 
for how we could tangibly show concern for somebody else as the Philippians did for Paul. Because when we do it for one of the least of these, we do it for Christ. When we show this kind of loving concern in the church body one for another, we do it for Christ. The loving concern of the Philippians was continuous and it was tangible and it was all to the glory of God. Verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To, God, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. When Paul saw their concern in action, he proclaims it to be a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. They were worshiping in action, weren't they? You see, worship of our God goes far beyond the singing of songs, the giving of an offering, and listening to God's word being preached. These are wonderful aspects of worship. These are good things, but they are not everything. To quote someone that we know and love. Simply and broadly defined, worship is the believer's appropriate response to God's revelation of himself, his word, and his work. This response is described in both testaments by words meaning to bow, expressing the wonder of worship, and words meaning to serve, doing the work of worship. Biblical worship, then, encompasses both bowing and serving, wonder and work. As we can see when Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, he says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Or in a passage like Romans 12, chapter, one, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The, the use of the stuff that God has given us, the, the skills, the abilities, the gifts, the finances, the food, the homes, the bodies, everything that we are, what we do with these can be turned into wonderful acts of worship as we lovingly care for and show concern for others. Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation 
of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Worship in action through a loving care for one another. So we see in this passage the, the nature of Christian concern, that it, is, it goes beyond convenience, being consistent in spite of obstacles. It doesn't forget that it goes beyond words to the real needs of others, and that it, it becomes an act of worship as we give of ourselves to the, for, for the sake of Christ and the gospel. That the love of Christ would be seen in us. Why should we? Why, why should we? If we already have the salvation card in our back pocket, do I really need to inconvenience myself? Well, first of all, we have been created by God in Christ Jesus for good works that he pre-planned for us to walk in them, right? According to Paul... In this passage, we see that there are benefits of living this way. And the benefits of this kind of concern are both personal and corporate. Personally, we we live like this because God will see it. And God will recognize it. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift, Paul says, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. When God sees us living out this Christ-like, selfless love for one another, Paul uses some accounting language here. He says that these actions accrue interest, the fruit that increases to your credit. It's like a spiritual bank account with eschatological dividends. We don't see them right now, but they're there. There are those who argue that this should be taken in either an eschatological or in an earthly sense, that God will provide for you right here and right now, or he will provide for you later in heaven. I believe it is both and. That God will provide for us everything we need to accomplish his will for us on this earth. Notice the word need and not desires, right? He's going to provide everything we need to do what he has called us to do on this earth, guaranteed. And in death, he provides for us eternal life in Christ. But as we live on this earth and we we show this loving concern, somehow we lay up treasure in heaven. We, We are told by Christ in the book of Matthew that we should be laying up these treasures in heaven, shouldn't we? 
in who we are in Christ and in serving God, somehow storing up a heavenly reward. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Do not, this is Jesus speaking, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We certainly do need the stuff of this earth to survive on this earth and to fulfill our calling in Christ, don't we? As long as we are here. But are we considering often enough how brief these treasures are on this earth and and how long eternity will be? lovingly showing this kind of concern for others in the hands of God becomes an investment in our eternity. And as for the corporate benefits, we live like this because it puts on display our like-minded unity in Jesus Christ. The, The Greek word that Paul uses here for concern is the same word that he used earlier in chapter 2. In verse 10 of our passage, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me, and you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. It's the same as he uses in chapter 2, verse 2, when he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love being in full accord and of one mind. The same mind, one mind, thinking about each other, putting others above ourselves, having this Christ-like mind about us. In our passage here, chapter 4, Paul is telling them, the concern that I was talking about in chapter 2, that you should have for one another, that Christ-likeness of unity and love and mind and concern for others, that's exactly what you're doing for me. Now, Now go and do it for one another, just like you're doing it for me. Just like I told you in chapter two, it causes me to rejoice when I get to see Christ in you. It completes my joy and it gives him great joy to see that they got it for him now now go and do likewise for everybody else just like he was talking about before you know how to do it be a church the first aspect of any local church community is that it is covenantal that is it is a community of believers who have become part of the new covenant in Christ's blood, and as a result, have covenanted together to help each other run the Christian race with integrity, godliness, and grace. It is a community of mutual commitment to doing each other good spiritually, bearing each other's burdens, sharing joys, giving to support the ministry, exercising affectionate watchfulness, over one another, and at times rebuking the unrepentant or submitting to correction ourselves as occasion may require. Mark Deaver, the deliberate church. We live like this because we are called to be Christ-like 
in heart, mind, and action with one another. We live like this because it is good for the body. It keeps us healthy. It keeps our witness healthy by keeping an eye out for the body consistently, tangibly, and as an act of worship, always pointing to Christ. When we do these things, people will see Christ in us. And if they see Christ in us, maybe they will want to know him too. And if they want to know him, Maybe we'll have the opportunity to plant some gospel seeds. Maybe God will cause those seeds to grow into faith. Maybe somebody else will enjoy eternity right alongside of us as they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Maybe we will see revival in the church if we really start to live out the things that God has called us to do as a body, to love one another and to have this consistent, tangible, real, worship-filled concern one for another. Does that thought, does, does the thought of revival in this church bring you great joy? The way that it brought great joy to the early church when they heard that the Gentiles were being saved. This is fantastic. Let's see that joy spread. And let's show concern one for another. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for being concerned for us. For not leaving us nor forsaking us, for not letting us be separated from your love. And that while you call us to, to difficult things for us, you call us to be courageous and you tell us you won't leave us or forsake us, but you'll walk us through it. Lord, we seek your wisdom, we seek your strength, we seek all that you are to shine through all that we are all that we say, all we do. Lord, we do pray for revival. We do pray that these things, as we ca in as much as we catch on to them, in as much as we show them, as we live them out here in this body, Lord, would you cause that revival to happen in this community? As we grow to spiritual maturity, would you add to this body that others would be blessed as well? To you be the glory, not ourselves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.